Hey, good morning, everybody. If you are watching online, thank you so much for tuning in. And last week, we kind of went through, and we've been trying to dive a little bit deeper into some different things. And so we spent some time, and we said, hey, Scripture is important to us. Like, we looked at it kind of from a historical standpoint, how it was put together, and I thought it would be really fitting to follow that up this week. And what if we could actually read one book of the Bible and talk about it and still get you out for lunch? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, 2005 was a pretty memorable year for me when it comes to ministry. I had worked and interned a couple different times before then, but in 2005, um, like 21-year-old Jamie was put in charge of a group of students. Like, you're the person, you're the leader, um, teach them about God, keep them alive. That were the two big things that, that was my mission for the summer and for that year. And I'll never forget, camp had already been planned, but I remember loading up a couple of charter buses full of students, and we drove from Madisonville, Texas, to Abilene, Texas. I had never been to Abilene before, and we went to a camp called 220, um, which our students will be going to tomorrow. And on that camp, I had, my intern was helping me. Her name was Allison Davis at the time. It's Umber now. Um, I remember the first night, the MC got up, and this dude is absolutely crazy. Uh, his name is JD. Um, <laughs> Got to meet them. Little did we know, like, I guarantee we drove by this church, uh, drove by the house that I live in, like, had no idea that one day God was going to call me to Abilene, Texas, and pastor a church just down the street from that. But that summer was also memorable because we went on a mission trip uh, down uh, close to the border, and I had a church phone, and on our way there, my phone buzzed, and I looked down, and I was like, oh, I've heard of these. It was a text message. I'm going to date myself a little bit in this. And I started texting back and forth with another friend that was going to be going on this trip. Um, I didn't know at the time that there were things called limits on text messages. Um, see, back in the day, it wasn't unlimited. It was like $5 a text. And I remember sitting down with my boss and financial person when we got back to figure out how the church was going to pay for that and being told, don't do that anymore. Um, what we're going to look at today is 3 John. It's the shortest book in the Bible. It's kind of a biblical text message. See, in a text message, if you just need to get something out really quick, it's a great way of, I'm coming home. Um, did you start dinner? Did you pay the bill? Oh, these are the texts that I get um, that are really short. Um, this book is kind of a biblical text message. It's pretty short. Shortest book in the Bible. In the original Greek, it's only 219 words. It wouldn't have taken John very long to write it. We're going to find out there were other things he wanted to say, but he understood, hey, this is still unbelievably important. This 219-word letter would go down and be a part of one of the 66 books of the Bible that we talked about last week. It's maybe the most personal book in the Bible because it's a message from John to another person, and in it you see a lot of just really personal moments between these two, and it's quick and it's effective, and it teaches us 2,000 years later. So let's go ahead and jump in. You can follow along in your Bible on the screen if you've got an app. You won't have to scroll much today. Like I said, 15 verses. So in verse 1, it says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. 
And so if we say scripture is important, let's just literally in one message walk through an entire book in the Bible. I've got to go through three of them since I've been at South Point. This one almost feels like it's a cliff note. Um, So who is this? It's John. Third John says the elder to the beloved Gaius. Now who is the elder? It's John. Some people kind of go, well, why didn't he just put his name down? He'd done it in the other letters. Um, There's some speculation that by this time, persecution happened early and often in the early church. And it's persecution that we do not face today. Um, Their persecution was being put into a gladiatorial arena to fight a lion and not given a weapon. Um, It was death. It was very heavy. And there was some speculation that this was a way for John to say, hey, you know I'm the elder, um, but I didn't put my name so that it, it still helps me not be persecuted by an emperor somewhere. And he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius. So what's an elder? As we jump into this, what is that? Because depending on your, if you have a church background or what denomination, that, that can be a word that you go, I don't really know what that means. Um, growing up, I grew up in a denomination where there weren't elders. Um, early on when I felt called to ministry and I really started reading the Bible for myself, I kept seeing this word. And early on in my call into ministry, I understood that, hey, if I find it in the Bible, the Bible wins. And so I was like, why don't we have those? Because typically it says elder here, you're saying it in the singular, but typically when you find the word elder throughout scripture, it's plural. It's a plurality thing, elders. Um, It's leaders within the church. There's a couple of different words in Greek that sometimes mean something, the word may be different, but they carry the same meaning. And so elder, overseer, pastor, bishop, those words get used differently, that's a different word, but they always carry the same meaning. And so this elder role, it's something that is a church leadership position. John was a leader in the church. See, the word pastor only occurs one time in all of Scripture. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it carries with it this idea that, yes, a pastor is an elder, but there's a specific role within that of shepherding and teaching the people of the church. It's what I'm doing right now, this teaching side of what I do. I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite things. I tell people it's the cherry on top of my job. I like to make the joke sometimes, only work one day a week. There's, there's more than that. Um, and I make the joke sometimes when I'm with people and I'll leave a conversation on a Sunday morning and I'll tell them, hey, I got to go figure out what I'm going to be talking about. Um, please know this, that is a joke. Uh, I will know what we are talking about way before we ever get to that particular Sunday. I love this. I understand that this is a great calling And it can also be unbelievably dangerous because people in church, they listen to the message and they listen to the pastor. Most of the time, you'll believe it. Sometimes not just believe it, you will defend it adamantly. And so I understand that this can be used for good, obviously, what we're doing right now. But sometimes it's used to abuse or manipulate, and I just don't want to do that. I take this very seriously. I spend on average about 15 to 20 hours a week reading, studying, writing, taking things in, taking things out. Um, I can already tell you that when we get done with our summer school series, we're going to do a series on our church, just so kind of a vision of this is who we are. Um, And then when we get done with that, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians. We'll be there for about a year and a half. Um, I love that because I don't have to spend half the week knowing what I'm going to talk about. And so John was an elder in that sense. He's writing and teaching. Um, But when you see something like overseer, that also brings to it, kind of stresses that, hey, an elder also is responsible for leading the church, governing and like governing in like the 
best sense of that word. Don't think of it in 2021 terms. Because um, sometimes you hear that and you think very negative. But like just church leadership. John was a leader in the church. At South Point Church, we're elder-led. Um, there's more than just one. And so people go, well, what is an elder? Is it someone who's, who's just by nature older? Not necessarily. I'm an elder at South Point Church, and I like to think that I'm not as old as maybe I am. Um, but with it, there is a calling. There's things that Scripture says, hey, these are the attributes that you need to have. Um, and so at South Point Church, most of you guys know, but we have Jeff Hookey. He's one of our elders. Uh, Terry O'Brien is one of our elders. Um, they help teach. You know, the, those guys will be teaching classes. Terry's going to be teaching next week for me. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, they lead, and we set budgets, and we talk about direction and what's important to the church, and we're in the process right now of trying to revamp certain things and say, hey, we want to do a better job at that. And this is the role that John brings. And then you go, okay, well, who was the letter written to? A guy named Gaius. Um, I love that name. I like it a lot. I was told by my wife, we can't name our children Gaius, can't name him Lucian, can't name him Octavian. I like Roman things. Um, who is this guy? We don't really know. The name Gaius appears a couple of times in Scripture, but you also need to know Gaius is a pretty common name in Roman culture at this time. In fact, just about all of you know a guy named Gaius. You just may not even know it um, because in 100 B.C., there was a guy named Gaius. He was born, and he grew up. He was a pretty good politician, pretty good general, uh, later became kind of a dictator of Rome, and most of you know him by Julius Caesar, but his full name is Gaius Julius Caesar. It's a very common name. And so John starts to hear things about Gaius, and he says, you know what, I need to write him a letter. I want to write him something to encourage him. And so he says, beloved, he's going to say that several times. He says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well for your soul. And so he opens up and says, John, or guys, I'm thinking of you. I hope that everything is going well. I hope that your family affairs are going well. I hope that when you're out in the community, everything is going well for you. Like, I want the best for you. And he says, I want you to have good health. Like when you wake up in the morning, I want you to be able to breathe in and not go, man, my allergies are killing me. I want you to be able to walk around and go, ah, that's really hurting today. He says, no, I want you to be healthy because it's going to go well with the other thing that I'm thinking about for you. It's going to go well with your soul. That thing deep within you placed there by God that knows there's something more. And that your soul would long for the things that it needs to long for. Not for the next thing that you think is going to make you happy. But it would long for truth. It would long for God's glory and his purpose. And he says, I want the best for you. And sometimes this gets hijacked a little bit. And it kind of becomes the health and wealth or prosperity gospel. I don't, I don't run with either of those. I'm way too reformed for that. But here's what I will say. Sometimes we can go too far over here and miss out on the fact that, you know what? Does God bless us? Yes. And we don't need to shy away from that. And John's looking at Gaius and he goes, man, I know you're doing good, godly things. He's going to talk about them here in a second. And he says, I want you to be blessed. I want you to find success and happiness and health and all those things. Not in some twisted way, but he says, I want the best for you because I know God can provide that for you. And he says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. When I said this is a real personal thing, that's a, very, that's a very personal thing to say to someone. Now, Gaius probably was not one of his actual children. He's probably talking metaphorically and, you know, brothers and sisters, that sort of thing within Christianity. But he says, man, that's, 
I have no greater joy. The pride we feel when we see someone that we love walking with God. See, I, everybody can do it. I, I get a little bit of a pass on this one just from my job. Like it's part of my job to watch things. And man, I, I relate with John on this one. Elder to elder, we'll put it. I love looking around this place and seeing people walk and use the gifts that God has given them and grow in who he is. Man, it makes my heart happy. Sunday mornings, I, I walk around a lot. I try and talk to people and chit-chat and also just watch. I love walking by the nursery and looking in and seeing people holding babies because I'm like, man, you're so much better at that than I am. Like that many children whose last name isn't Pope makes me nervous, and yet I look in and I just see the love that they have and the way that they're sitting on the ground playing with toys. I love it. It makes my heart happy. Like I, I get what John is saying. When I look out and I see greeters, or I look up here and I see people with unbelievable musical talent, way more than I could ever have, and they're using those gifts to lead us in worship, man, it makes my heart happy. I get what John is saying here. And man, some of the greatest memories I will ever have will be at this place. Because I'll never forget getting in that baptistry one Sunday morning, and this little skinny blonde kid got in. And I busted down, started crying, I knew I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> I got to baptize my son here. I love baptizing people. It's, it's really hard to top baptizing your own child. And I pray I get to do it again because I got more than one. <laughs> but man, it makes my heart happy. And I get where John says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And then he goes on to explain what makes that truth happen in Gaius' life. In verse 5, says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth." He says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do, faith being knowing what to do, and then doing it. See, Gaius understood that there were things that as a believer he had been called to. And it's obvious from the report that's being given by different people that had been around him, he was doing it. He knew what to do, and then he did it. And he did it with a group of people. There were some missionaries that had come into his area, and obviously he'd been a blessing to them, and he had encouraged them. And it says that uh, all your efforts to these brothers, strangers as they were, See, sometimes we forget our circle within Christianity is a lot bigger than just this room. It's a lot bigger than just the online world. Like, we have brothers and sisters that we don't even know. And one day you're going to spend an entire eternity getting to know them. Like, you've got friends on the other side of the world. You don't know their names, but they love God just like you do. And John, or Gaius, man, he engaged these people. And we sometimes forget, and we just think of it in this sense, but man... He had people that he didn't even know, and he said, oh, you're a believer? We're, we're on the same page. That's why we've got, you've got a brother in Christ that's in Venezuela. His name's Vladimir. It's a weird name for a Venezuelan, but it's what it is. He's a good buddy. We almost always have to speak through a translator. Dude loves Jesus. Got to go on a mission trip, met him, and have called him friends since then. And one day we'll spend eternity in heaven, and I think we'll speak the same language finally. I went on a mission trip into Juarez years ago, and we're setting up stuff for this VBS, 
And from behind me, I hear, Christian! Just like that. And I turn around, a little startled of what I'm going to find, and turn around, and there is a man who I can undoubtedly say, I am a head taller than you. And that doesn't happen very often. And uh, he just kept saying, Christian, I was like, is this dude going to fight us? Because if, if he is, like, this is kind of what I've hoped for. Like, everyone wants to defend your family and things like that. You just want to know you can take them, and I'm pretty sure I got this guy. Um, and then we find out, no, he was just excited that Christians were there because nobody else around him was a Christian. And we sat down with a translator. I went in his house. I hit my head on his doorway, and I wasn't mad. Like, I was so excited. That's what that feels like. And I sat down with this little old man, and we just talked about Scripture can't remember his name, but he'll tell me it whenever we get to heaven. Like our circle is a lot bigger than we think about. And these missionaries showed up and they start talking with Gaius and he goes, man, I want to be a blessing to you. And then John encourages him and said, hey, when you send them out, you need to send them in a manner worthy of God. If we send in a manner worthy of God, we are obviously talking about the best, right? Because what's worthy of God? I would say honor. Honor would be a really big one. He is God. Worship him alone. And so John is telling guys, when you send these missionaries out, you need to honor them. You need to be an encouragement to them. You need to build them up, not tear them down. Praise is another thing that I would say is worthy of God. And so John tells Gaius, hey, you need to, you need to praise what they're doing. Not just to you know, give them a big head, but everybody enjoys a good compliment. I think it was Mark Twain said he could live six months off one good compliment. I mean, it's encouraging to us. Let's say dedication is worthy of God. We obviously want to be dedicated to him. And John's telling Gaius, hey, be dedicated to these guys. Don't let this just be a one-time thing. Continue that encouragement. And then worth. He's telling them here, he says, hey, when you send them out, you need to show their worth because right now, they're not getting funds from the Gentiles. It says they took nothing from the Gentiles. That means the Gentiles were just anyone who didn't believe in Jesus. And so whenever they're sharing the gospel, what they didn't want to communicate was, hey, if you give us money, that's how salvation works. Like, oh, I, I want eternity. Can I write you a check? And they, they're like, that's not, this isn't an indulgence. This isn't anything like that. And so they weren't taking money from Gentiles. They were just preaching the good news and the message of Jesus Christ. And John tells Gaius, hey, we need to make sure that we take care of them. We need to make sure that financially we're supporting them. We need to make sure that we're taking care of their housing. We need to make sure that we're taking care of their ability to go out and spread the gospel. And we're going to take care of them in a manner worthy of God, which means it's going to be the best. I always say the gospel calls for above and beyond. And he applauds Gaius and says, hey, you're doing a great job. Do it in a manner worthy of God. Then he has one little moment where he says another teaching thing. It says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stop those who want to and puts them out of the church. This is a reality that for a long time, there have been ministry leaders who are jerks. It's not a new thing. It's one that's talked about a lot more. We have a lot more platforms. Um, it's been a big talking point in the church world recently of just church abuse and things like that. Um, want to acknowledge that, yeah, that, that happens. And there are times where 
This is a reality. It's been happening for a long time. It's a great thing to be called into ministry. I had a mentor that told me one time, probably 50% of the people that feel called into ministry misheard God. And that may be right. Because I've sat in some classrooms where I've had to struggle <laughs> not to slap the guy in front of me in the back of the head because I'm like, dude, we're in a seminary class and you're a jerk. <laughs> like, what church are you at? Not going to that one. Um, other times, we're infallible humans. Or we're fallible humans. Like, mess up. Don't handle something correctly. Ask for grace. But this is reality. Like, it's been going on for a long time. And apparently there was a guy that was over a church. And look, John was an absolute apostle. Everyone knew that. He wrote several books in the New Testament. And for this guy to say, we don't take John's authority, he obviously didn't have that high of a view of Scripture. <laughs> on top of that, he's not letting people reach out to missionaries and support them or care for them. It kind of sounds like a cult. And I hate that that's a reality in our world because most of us know and can give a story of a place that sounds like that. I don't ever want this to be that, ever, ever, ever. That's why we say we have a plurality of leadership. Like there are so many times this guy obviously has some pride issues, wants to puff it up and make it about himself and not anyone else, cult of personality, probably has a bunch of sycophants around him. Like it's not a church that I would want to go to and I don't ever want that to be the story of South Point Church. That's why we have plurality of leadership. Like, I'm not the lead guy. Like, we've got Terry, we've got Jeff. We're praying that God will send more. So that, you know, I, I don't ever want to be a celebrity pastor. I tell people, I, I can't be a celebrity pastor. I buy all my clothes at Kohl's. Like, that's just, I don't, I don't dress cool enough to be that. I also don't want to be a dictator. Because I've been to a church where the pastor was. And it split a church. And he's not in ministry anymore. It's not a comfortable thing. Some of you know that story. You've seen it before. And Paul or John is known as the apostle of love. But he loves enough for the church in general to say, you know what? I'm calling this guy out. I'm using him, his name. I'm telling you the things that he's doing that are wrong. And I'm going to call him out because the church is not supposed to operate like that. It's supposed to look more like Gaius. A guy that's reaching out, trying to make sure that the gospel is spread, not like this guy that's trying to hold it and make it all about himself. And so John, in love, calls him out. And that's what we need to do. Like, we need to feel free if something's not right. Hey, what are we doing here? Is this turning into a dictatorship or a cult? Like, if there's ever Kool-Aid up here, don't get worried. Um, but there won't. But I love that John loves enough about the church to say, hey, when I see something that's not right, I'm going to call this guy out on it. And, but sadly, this happens today as well. A number of years ago, a pastor wrote an article for this like, nationwide publication, and he wrote about this guy, about the things that he was doing, but he never used his name. That publication said that they had like 25 different letters from pastors that were sent in saying they weren't going to read it anymore because they felt personally attacked that they had written something about them. And it's like, no, that was, that was somebody in the Bible, but obviously you're still doing the same thing. Um, this is why unity is unbelievably important. It's why we talk about it a lot at our church. It's why we say, hey, look, when it comes to scripture, I got lots of opinions. I'm heavily opinionated. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't work with other people around us. And that's why I got to really kind of talk with the staff. Uh, started talking with Connect Church this week. We started planning out trunk or treat. We did that with them last year. We had like 2,000 people here. It was insane. 
We made lots of candy runs. Um, we said, hey, we want to be able to partner with you again and do that. We're going to be partnering with other churches for block parties. Unity is unbelievably important. This guy's church didn't sound very unified. I want us to sound very unified. And then John gets back to Gaius. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does, uh, whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, who received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Again, that beloved says, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. They say imitation is the greatest form of flattery, right? So we should probably imitate good. What's good? I would say teaching is good. It's one that I got super blessed when I first got into ministry that we had the internet. And at the time, people started putting sermons on said internet. And there's a thing called sermon audio. And there were a handful of guys that I would listen to and just go, they're really good. I would like to be like that. And so this will date it. I would burn it onto a CD and pop it in the CD player in my car and listen to these messages. And there were just a handful of guys that went, man, I, I love your teaching and I understand that it's good. How are you doing that? And just started listening and imitating, not preaching their sermons, but just their style. I was like very impressed with it. And one of them in particular, he was at the college that I was at. And whenever I graduated, I had a student that was going to be going to A&M. And I said, hey, you got to go to Breakaway. It's a Bible study on Tuesday night. There's like 10,000 people there. It's awesome. I got a chance to work with it when I was a student. And so she started going. I saw her around Christmas time. We were talking a little bit. And she said, hey, I went to Breakaway. And the speaker there, she said, he sounds just like you. And I went, no, it's the other way around. I sound like him. Uh, he did not learn from Jamie. Jamie learned from him. But it was hey, if I'm going to imitate something, that's pretty good. I want to be like that. I want to be able to teach in a way that is communicating the message of who God is and his love in a way that people can understand it, and it'll be probably fairly conversational. So teaching would be a good thing to imitate. Action is a great thing to imitate. If any given Sunday morning you look around this church when you're not in here or even when you're in here, there are tons of people putting action or, you know, doing everything. I don't know how I was going to word that. There's people right now in a room behind us making the online service possible. There's people greeting, working in kids' areas, student ministry on Wednesday nights. There's people serving all over the place. I would say that's a great thing to imitate. Not evil, but good. If you're not plugged in serving somewhere, come talk to us. If you've got a gift and you say, man, this is my gifting, how do I use it? We will get you set up. We will help you with that because we want to imitate what is good. And I would say we want to imitate love. We want to imitate the gospel, not in a bad way, but we want that to be what drives us. We want our neighbors to know God's love for them. We want the world at large, because we're online right now, to know that there is a Savior. It's only through Jesus Christ that we obtain salvation. That's what we imitate. Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil does not, has not seen God. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. He's probably the person that was bringing the letter. You know, he didn't hit send on his phone. So Demetrius gets involved, and he's going to take this letter to Gaius, and it's going to be an encouragement to him. And then finally he says, 
I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. This is where it's the text message. Man, guys, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to say, but I just do not feel like writing that down right now. I would rather go and see you face to face so that we can talk more about this. So we can talk more about the things that you're doing and hear more of a testimony of the people that you're supporting and to hear how God's word is going out. I want to sit down with you and hear that. I love gospel stories. I love sitting down and hearing what God's doing in someone's life. And it's so much more personal when it's face to face, right? And we get to hear those stories and then you get to hear, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. But at the same time, even though he, he didn't have a lot of time to write, he wrote. And in 219 words, he wrote something really good. He reminded Gaius about truth. He reminds us about truth. He reminds us about walking in a manner worthy of God. He reminds us that, you know what, we need to watch out even in church because sometimes there are jerks. And then he reminds him that, hey, I'm going to see you soon. Quick little book, but man, is there a lot of truth in it. Let's pray. God, as we talk about that truth, we know that truth comes from you. We know that the gospel is true, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. God, we know that in our souls, even scripture itself would say, man, that you put eternity in our hearts. Like there's this longing and so many times we try a million different things thinking that's what's going to satisfy it and it doesn't. And success doesn't, money doesn't, whatever we put there, there's only one thing that satisfies that and it's Jesus. Your son that you sent to the earth lived a sinless life and ultimately laid his life down so that you and I could have forgiveness and it's only through him that we have salvation. And so, God, I'm praying right now. If there's anyone that's here today and they don't know what that looks like, they, they've been searching, they've been trying everything, but every time we say, Jesus, something just stirs in them, God, I hope that they would know that's faith, the faith to believe. And if that's you today and you've never made that personal, I would encourage you to say, God, as best as I know how, I want to come to you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life and follow him. And if you did that today, I would encourage you, put that on a connect card. Come talk to one of us. We want to celebrate those things. Just as, just as John was celebrating the things that were going on in Gaius' life, we want to celebrate when God awakens someone and walk with you through that journey. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that 2,000 years ago, half a page was written, and yet God is preserved and still speaks to us today. God, I pray that John could write a letter to us, to our church, and it sound like this. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.